the shift in priority uh, in the nursery. You know, it always used to be we're going to push performance. It's going to be very daily gain and exit weight driven. And now it's more health driven. The focus is on health and getting pigs started, uh, getting pigs on feed, a little bit less priority on making sure those pigs grow fast early. Um, you know, some of it is the the quote unquote hard starting pig. You know, we've got a little bit of more, a little bit more of that showing up. Um, some of our tools have changed, right? So a lot of this started to show up when there was more stringent antibiotic use. Um, there's been a little bit more integration in the industry and our labor force has changed uh, from what it was. So the priority on health and making sure those pigs transition well and getting them started on to feed to really set them up to finish well. Swallet. It's time for a new era of communication in the swine industry. One that you can get the latest updates while commuting or driving to farms. Here, you will have the brightest minds of the global swine industry in your pocket. Swinet Podcast is only possible with the support of forward-looking and innovative companies like AB Vista, new nutritional perspectives and novel enzyme applications to drive pig production. Eastman Animal Nutrition. Visit EASTMAN.com. Adiseo is a worldwide leader in animal nutrition, providing nutritional solutions and services which fuel predictable profits. Genesis the first power in genetics. This episode's sponsored highlight is about Eastman Animal Nutrition. To feed the world's growing population, the animal production industry needs to grow in a sustainable manner. Eastman produces one of the broadest organic acid portfolios in the global market and offers customer-driven swine solutions. Learn more by visiting Animal Nutrition at EASTMAN.com. Hello, everyone. I'm Laura Greiner, your host for today's Swine It podcast. And with me today, I have Dr. Wes Shear from Zinpro. How are you today, Wes? Doing well, Laura. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. We're glad to have you on today. So for our listeners today, Dr. Wes Shear is currently the Swine Technical Service Nutritionist for Zinpro. Um, but that's where I'm going to stop, and I'm actually going to let Wes go ahead and give more of an introduction about himself. So, Wes, if you could please uh, give a little bit more of a background about who you are and, and what you're currently doing, that would be great. Absolutely. Yep. So, I uh, did my graduate work at Iowa State with Nick Gabler. Uh, worked on a lot of different things, from challenge pigs to antibiotic alternatives, and and a little bit of everything in between. I uh, got a master's and a PhD there, and then came to Zinpro. Uh, right out of school. I've been here for about four and a half years um, doing some research, a lot of tech service, both uh, internationally and then domestically. Uh, so been very fortunate to get to see a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Well, and I think that's really what we want to talk about today is you've, you've been in a lot of different locations. You've seen a lot of different things, of course. Um, and really, let's kind of go back to some of your PhD work. I mean, that's how I know you is through some of the publications where you've talked about antibiotic alternatives in the nursery and, and obviously some nursery challenges. And, and I think that's really what we should talk on today is, you know, what are we seeing in the nursery and how do we sort out what nursery production should look like? So um, from that, I'm going to kind of start with a very general question. You know, what are you seeing in the nursery today? You know, what are the trends and, and patterns that you're seeing that maybe have been different from past production experiences? 
Yeah, that's a, a great place to start. Really what I've noticed almost since I started, you know, since I got into school in the last five or so years, the, sh- the shift in priority uh, in the nursery, you know, it always used to be, we're going to push performance. It's going to be very daily gain and exit weight driven. And now it's more health driven. The focus is on health and getting pigs started, uh, getting pigs on feed, a little bit less priority on making sure those pigs grow fast early. Um, you know, some of it is the the quote unquote hard starting pig. You know, we've got a little bit of more, a little bit more of that showing up. Um, some of our tools have changed, right? So a lot of this started to show up when there was more stringent antibiotic use. Um, there's been a little bit more integration in the industry and our labor force has changed uh, from what it was. So the priority on health and making sure those pigs transition well and getting them started on to feed to really set them up to finish well uh, has really seemed to have been a, a big change that I've noticed since I've been at Zinpro. Mm-hmm. And I think that's actually a really important one. I was on a, a call actually this morning with a group of nutritionists from China and we were discussing some of those nutrition things that we have changed in the nursery. And the, the big one that surprised them the most was the change in the lysine percent and how we've mm-hmm. talked about reducing that lysine percent and the impact on growth. And so you, you mentioned it as well. We're focused a little bit less on growth and more on health. What are you seeing in terms of, of changes in growth level out of the nursery? Or, or have you been able to quantify that at this point? <laughs> Yeah, it's it's kind of funny. I remember we were at the the uh, John Patients Conference. I forget the actual name of it. Um, <laughs> John Sendoff Conference in Ames, and and a comment was made that uh, you know the the pigs they don't start as well and they don't gain quite as well early, but they still finish about the same weight. You know, we're we're not necessarily losing performance if we look at the nursery in its entirety. It's just they start differently. Um, so from that aspect, I don't know if much has really changed, uh, from a, a growth or exit weight, you know, standpoint, it's just the, how, how we get there. You know, I think genetics plays a role in that. And those pigs are, we've really figured out and dialed in how to feed those pigs. Um, and we're understanding more about compensatory gain and when to push pigs and when to back off and, um, just really optimizing our nutrition programs, getting better at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. And I've heard the same thing, right? We don't really get a measurable difference out of the nursery, even though we've potentially changed those lysine levels. And and again, that kind of challenges some of our nutrition training, which the last few years has challenged a lot of our nutrition training, um, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> um, but that, that's what makes it fun and exciting. Um, you've said it a couple of times now, they're starting differently. They're harder to start. So are there tips or tricks that, that you've noticed in the field that would help us manage through the, the harder starting? Or maybe let's just start with defining it and then giving us some ideas of, of tips or tricks that you're seeing. Sure. So I, I've heard of a few different definitions for the hard starters. Um, you know, whether I've heard them described as lazy. Pigs are lazy when they're weaned and they don't want to go to the feeder. Um, just getting their nose in the trough, getting them used to that feed. Um, and you know, with with some of the newer health challenges, you know, hearing more E. coli's and 
rotaviruses, a lot more enteric challenges that have always been around. It just seems like they're a little bit bigger problem now. Um, heard a lot of changes in dietary programs, whether that's uh, extending our phases, right? So getting them further out before we make a dietary ch- uh, phase change. So maybe going to a two two phase program instead of a three or four. Um, you know, from a management perspective, how to address some of those hard starters, mat feeding um, or gruel feeding, depending on the the labor and availability of of your system to do that. Um, you know, other management, just making sure the environment's right. You know, it's, it's not anything new, uh, temperature ventilation, you know, we don't like to run the fans when the heaters are running. Sometimes we, we maybe need to do that just to make sure that the air turnover is right, but the barn's staying warm and the slats are warm. Um, you know, feeding water quality, again, starting to hear a lot more about that water quality, especially in understanding the importance of water, um, hear from our my ruminant colleagues quite a bit that we're we're still behind compared to where they're at um, but we're starting to understand it and address it more um, and then feed quality you know we're, we're coming into new crop corn uh, I've been hearing about some pockets of some pretty high levels of, of mycotoxins and making sure that we get those into the right phases or blended correctly or, or whatever we need to do to address that with binders and and that type of thing just making sure that we're putting the best feed in front of the pigs that we can. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think those are all some really good tips and suggestions. Um, we've certainly have seen a lot of references in the past and different ways to start pigs. And I think that's where some people kind of get confused as to what's the right method. Is there a right method less <laughs> in, in mat feeding, creep feeding, any of that? Do you have an opinion? Uh, I would say whichever one you have the ability to do, um, pigs are pretty smart animals. Helping them out is not going to hurt any. You know, making sure that they know what the feed is in the on the mat or in, or in a gruel, whatever it's going to be. Um, I lean towards mat feeding just because with gruel, sometimes if it's not executed correctly, uh, it can turn into a whole other challenge. Um, you know, wet feed and humid barn and uh, flies, whatever it is, can can turn that into something we don't need pretty quick. Uh, so I lean towards mat feeding and just, again, getting that feed presentation in front of pigs and knowing that that's, that's what they're going to be eating now uh, and, and starting to get them towards that feeder. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The other thing I heard you say here was water quality. You said that the ruminant nutritionists tell us we're behind. So I, water quality can mean a lot of different things. So when you say water quality, what, it, what specifically are you measuring or looking at? Uh, we look at it fairly holistically. Um, really what we're looking at is, is total dissolved solids. Uh, what are the mineral levels with a pretty heavy emphasis on manganese and iron? Um, manganese, higher levels of manganese have a metallic off taste. Um, iron you know, there's some taste and then what do we get for bacterial bacterial proliferation with that as well. Uh, so we'll look at some E. coli counts in the water and um, heard of that from some groundwater sources too of, you know, what are we all pulling in through the water in addition to just the, just the water. Mm-hmm. Any recommendations for producers that are seeing some challenges with water quality? I mean, I, I've worked in areas where there's high sulfur, high salt, or even high iron. Um, and obviously using some of those reverse osmosis or those types of units can be kind of expensive, but 
Are there other things that we could try to recommend or that you've seen that are working in the field? Uh, you know, acidifiers are the main one. Um, if you've got an ability to, like I said, reverse osmosis or some sort of filtration system, I know with some of those minerals, it can get tricky on how to do that. Um, and, and I'm not an expert in it by any means, but uh, anything that we can, if, if we have some of those challenges that we may not be able to fix with the filtration or reverse osmosis, how can we improve the palatability of the water, um, whether it's acidified, uh, some sort of flavoring or, or something, just so it's not an off-putting taste or smell um, and really draw those pigs to water. Mm -hmm. Very good. Um, let's kind of go back a little bit to the diets for a minute because um, I've, I've heard some actual conversations lately. Uh, obviously, in the U.S., we can still use zinc and we can use copper and, and try to manage bacterial growth within the animal. Um, but there's actually been some conversation around should we have both in the diet? Is there value to having both zinc and copper in that first nursery phase? Should it just be zinc? Should it just be copper? You know, what are, what's your opinion and what are you seeing in the field? Yeah, I see a little bit of a little bit of both. Some are using zinc only, some are using zinc and copper. I'm of the belief that there's not enough synergistic benefit to use both. So early in those diets, I would use just zinc oxide um, as far as the inorganic source. And, you know, with some of the challenges that we've seen recently, hear about those E. coli's or the resistant E. coli's that are starting to pop up, some rotavirus, uh, here's some coccidiosis, uh, you know, among other things. And then we've got PERS on top of that, which just makes everything worse. Um, so, what I've noticed, especially with zinc oxide, is we just keep creeping that level up, you know, and and I think we're getting to a place now of a cost of diminishing return. Uh, you know, a lot of the literature would say 2,000 to 2,500 uh, parts per million of zinc oxide was a pretty good level to be at. I think that was some of the original research uh, that came out in the 90s. And now it's pretty common to hear about 3,000, 3,500. Uh, and upwards of that in some cases. You know, we see that, we see post-weaning scours. Uh, we attribute it to E. coli uh, in addition to the weaning, you know, transition process. And one of the first things that we do as nutritionists is bump that bump that zinc oxide 500 parts per million. Um, and we can only do that for so long until it, it doesn't work as well uh, as it should. Um, and, and don't get me wrong, it, totally think that there's a place for zinc oxide uh, if we have the ability to use it. You know, that's, we're fortunate in the U.S., like you said, that that we have that uh, ability to use that. You know, our, my European colleagues don't have that luxury anymore uh, to, to where now, what do we do, you know, in the absence of zinc oxide and limited levels of copper? Yeah, and I think that's a great point. The other one that I know we had some, I had some conversations on a podcast that's probably been six months ago or so now, where we were talking about E. coli and ways to manage it through the nursery. And one of the conversations was that some people were starting to extend their zinc oxide use beyond the first three weeks or so of the nursery. And, and there was concern around, could we potentially be setting the pig up for lameness long-term um, with high levels of zinc? And so can you walk us through a little bit more when you, when you talk about zinc levels and recommendations and kind of what you're seeing in the field of, you know, are we getting to that point or are we still keeping ourselves within the, the lines of the road, if you will? <laughs> I, I think we're still doing a pretty good job. Um, 
I've heard of some different cases. Somebody puts a decibel in the wrong spot, uh, you know, or something to where we'll get some high levels and, and we'll run into some of those issues. Traditionally, what I've been seeing is a step down process. So, you know, we'll go 3000 somewhere around there for our first phase down to 2,500 or 2000, and then keeping those levels higher in that phase three, like you said, maybe it's 800, 1000, 1500, somewhere in there. Haven't heard of that causing any issues, uh, lameness, hoof sloughing, any any kind of our typical zinc toxicity uh, type of measures. Haven't heard much of that. Um, I think we're still, you know, in some of those cases, we're still at a depressed intake from some of those challenges to where we won't run into those toxicities. But um, I think, you know, especially as uh, as the global market maybe is transitioning away from zinc oxide. Um, Canada is looking at their levels right now of, of what that maximum zinc level needs to be. Um, been hearing about some systems that there's there's room to do better, uh, you know, or, or room to optimize what those levels need to look like. So let's kind of keep on that that same path there, if you don't mind. Let's let's keep picking apart on the the diets a little bit. Um, we can go two different directions really, and, and probably have a question on each. Honestly, is You've talked to your colleagues in Europe that obviously can't use zinc. Is there anything today that they're finding that works similar? It's never going to work the same, but works similar. That's question number one. And question number two is what else do you see to be an advantage in those early nursery programs to help out our pig just in terms of getting them on feed and and helping gut health essentially? Yeah. Yep. Uh, You know, the, a lot of the, the conversation focuses around crude protein. You know, that seems to be the first go-to of don't have zinc oxide anymore. Let's limit that crude protein to limit fermentation in the hind gut and try and tighten those pigs up and then bring in some sort of fiber. Um, source is going to vary depending on where you're at. You know, rolled oats seem to be a pretty common one in the U.S. Uh, and some other regions of the world um, targeting that gut health. You know, and then as far as uh, a direct zinc replacement you know a lot of the conversations that we have focus around are the inorganic sources going to be enough if i'm limited in what i can supplement um, from a nursery perspective so that's where a lot of our conversations have gone is is what do i do right and and we would say in addition to some of these other you know worrying about your macros of of decreasing that crude protein um it seems like there's a level to the limit or the to how low we can go with crude protein um, was over at, at a meeting this summer. And I think they were down in the 13% range. And once you get, once you get low, you need to change your ratios of your, your protein to synthetic amino acids. And, and there's some interesting things there. Um, but it seems like there's a limit to how low we can go and still, still have what we would deem as acceptable for growth performance in a pig. Right. The priority isn't necessarily on growth, but we still want the pig to grow. Um, so that's that was kind of interesting. And then lauren lysine increasing our fiber source. You know, what other ingredients do we bring in to target gut health? You know, direct fed microbials. What enzymes do we use? Um, some of the oligosaccharides. You know, and and just some of those ingredients of really targeting setting that pig up for from a gut health perspective to benefit the pig long-term. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, perfect. 
Thank you for that. Uh, yeah, I've had some of those conversations recently as well on crude protein and how low how low should we allow those to go in the nursery. So definitely good to know 13 is not it. Um, I was yeah. not planning on going that low, Wes, just so you know, but that is, <laughs> that is good to know. Um, so, and, and I think you've kind of covered it nicely, right? You've talked uh, quite a bit there about feed and and some of the things there, but let's let's kind of go back to management a little bit, if you don't mind. Um, we've talked a little bit here just about mat feeding and creep feeding, uh, but what are some other pitfalls that you're seeing when pigs are coming in, people are getting them started and just managing really the first three weeks, right? That's what we always say. Get the first three weeks right and we're good. So what are some other things that maybe we should be keeping an eye out for in the nursery today? I think one that <clears throat> that can't be understated enough or overstated enough is just getting eyes on pigs, you know, being in the barn, getting pigs up, you know, four or five, six times a day. If you've got the ability, that's been something that I've, I've noticed too, is the, the labor unit to number of pigs has really become skewed um, <laughs> where it's, it's one person that's looking over 10 or 12,000 spaces and, um, you know, just putting eyes on pigs and being in the barn, um, getting pigs up, getting them moving around. We're not going to be able to, even if we've got the best diet in the feeder, if they're not going to go to it, if, you know, if they're not going to be very active, then uh, it's not going to make much of a difference. Uh, so that's, that's been the big one. You know, I think our health protocols have changed some. Um, again, we're being more stringent with our antibiotic use. Um, our vaccination protocols have changed. seems like there's more use of that. I think being cognizant of the timing of some of that, um, you know, some systems using 8, 10, 12 vaccines early in the nursery and it, with the best intention of trying to set that pig up um, without the use of antibiotics, that's a pretty good slug to the immune system early too, though. When we're vaccinating those pigs, that's still going to require that immune response and immune development to where maybe that changes the, the dietary needs for that pig. Um, but that's also going to come at a cost, too. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a good point, right? Every time and we, we used to see that there's plenty of um, older papers uh, with mycoplasma vaccinations and particularly PCV2 vaccinations. I can remember those from K-State where we looked at different brands of, of PCV2 vaccination and how that could impact feed intake on that nursery pig, even if it's just for two or three days. And I, I think that's the important piece to remember, right? We've got this young pig coming in. There's a digestive interruption from the gut, from just the physical process of weaning. They're not eating feed. And then we start this process of, of vaccinations. And as you mentioned, every time we give one, we're going to take them off feed. We're going to create an inflammatory response and, um, create more challenge. So I, I think that's an excellent point. We're not saying don't do it. Just, you know, how uh, do you have any suggestions on things we can maybe do to help manage that pig during that time? Have you seen anything that works? I haven't seen anything great that I've been blown away by yet. Um, I wish I have, you know, I, the timing of it, I've heard some changes there where maybe we move some of those vaccinations while they're still on the South in farrowing. Um, just changing the timing, spreading them out a little bit, giving them a break, so to speak. And we're not going to load them up in the first 10 days of, of all these different vaccines, but just kind of spreading it out. And then is there a way that can we impact the sow trying to get some, 
you know, a better maternal antibody, uh, whether it's vaccinating the sows and trying to trying to get some of that without actually having to handle the pig. Um, so that's that's some of the strategies. Again, haven't seen one that that we're we're going to switch to just yet. Um, hopefully, we get there soon. Yes, <laughs> we hope so. <laughs> well, and I, I think that's why I asked too, right? Is there something nutritionally that that you've seen that we can do to you know boost the immune system or alleviate those responses? And and I like you, nothing pops into my head, but you know I'm going to ask you anyway, just to put you on the spot and see <laughs> how it sure. works, but. Um, so no, I appreciate that. And I, and again, we're not saying don't vaccinate your pigs. We're just saying, you know, keep in mind, there might be some opportunity to use some other things to help mitigate that. So it's a little bit easier on that young pig. Um, so I think you bring up some really good points, particularly about labor and, uh, the challenges that we see. And, and certainly that's understandable. I'm, I'm kind of like you, I go back and forth. I say usually minimum of three times a day, get that young pig up you know, for the first few days, at least to get them to that feeder. So I think those are excellent um, management discussions. Probably the last one that, that really kind of comes, well, there's probably two there actually, that come to mind is what do we do with the small pigs coming in? And what do we do with pigs that are starting to fall behind? And um, do you have any recommendations on either one of those sets of pigs? So I've seen some mixed opinions on the small pigs. Um, you know, it's, it seems like it's been tradition. We put all of those into one pen, you know, sort off the small pigs. Um, in some, some literature that I've seen is with a certain level of small pig, that's good, but we still want to maintain some of that pen hierarchy to where they'll actually perform better if they're still in that established hierarchy versus having to reestablish, um, as we pull some of those pigs or make a small pen. Um, you know, if if we do have some small pens or fall behind pens, changing the nutrition, you know, giving them usually a more complex diet seems to have some benefit. Um, it allows us to manage those pigs a little bit different. And generally, those pigs will get a little bit more attention. You know, eyes will be on those a little bit more to to see how good or bad they're responding to anything. Um, so that's, you know, from a very high level, that's what I would say is, um, you know, there's a, there's a limit, I think, to when we need to pull a pig um, as far as from a body weight or a size standpoint. Some of that discrepancy in pen, pen size is okay. Um, you know, if it's going to be a welfare issue where that pig does start to fall behind, then pull it and, and give it some of that needed attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think you, you answered one of my questions was the fact that you're talking about feeding a more complex diet something that's a little bit more appropriate for maybe that size of pig, right? If our average pig coming in is 14 pounds and we have our eight pound pig in there, finding something a little bit more nutritionally appropriate is good. Of course, we hear that conversation goes back to labor, right? If I don't have enough labor, how can I manage two different diets within a barn? Do you have any suggestions on how to make that easier? Have you seen anything that seems to work for that? I haven't haven't seen anything to really beat the labor piece. <laughs> um, unfortunately, you know, that you kind of brought up, you jogged my memory there a little bit. And, and I'd be curious on your, your philosophy here of do we feed to an age or do we feed to a body weight, you know, for that nursery pig. And if we feed to an age, we're probably overfeeding our heavy pig from a diet complexity uh, standpoint, but does that help the overall group? You know, I've seen some mixed results there. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I I don't have my answer either for you. I've always done <laughs> always done weight, right? But um, age is if if we do age, that kind of takes that away, doesn't it? In some levels. Um, yeah. But I, I do. I have heard of some folks that um, are trying to keep a certain area of the barn set. This is where our fall behinds are going to be and our smalls are going to be. And so we're going to pre-fill those feeders, right, with that special diet, and it's going to be in there. And then it's just a management issue, of course, of filling a couple big garbage containers full of nursery two feeds so that they can go on the appropriate diet at the right time. Um, but, yeah, I haven't come up with an easy labor answer for that either. I was just <laughs> curious if you'd seen something in the field recently that that you went, oh, that's a really neat idea. Yeah, unfortunately not. And and I was at the Zero Zinc Summit uh, in the Netherlands, or sorry, in Denmark um, this June. And they were talking about, you know, how do we manage these pigs without zinc oxide and these, as we get some of these changes in how we manage pigs. And uh, every sign kind of pointed back to it's going to require more labor, um, <laughs> is, which I think is, is okay. Right. It's just, can we be efficient in how we utilize that labor? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's a, an excellent point there is, you know, how do we create that, that environment to be set so that it is efficient for our labor to get through and, and do what we need them to do. Um, so Wes, I, I greatly appreciate your time and, and we're actually kind of almost at the end of our conversation. And so I'm going to turn it back over to you and let you kind of summarize some of the key points that you would like for our producers to think about as they're trying to cut some of that noise out of nursery production. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think something that showed up is there's, there's not one right answer, you know, do what's best for your system. And, and I think inherently people know what's best for their system. Um, there's no way around the labor piece, you know, it, it's going to require eyes on pigs and getting those pigs up, you know, diet strategies and some of that, that's all going to be system dependent, you know, regionally dependent. What, what ingredients or what resources do we have at our disposal? Um, you know, as we, as we look into some of these mineral levels, zinc oxide and, and copper, and um, I think there's room to, to be more stringent, you know, if, even if it allows it only allows us to use that longer, you know, right now the U S isn't, doesn't have eyes on zinc, uh, zinc oxide regulation, as far as I know today, um, I've heard Wayne Cass say this before, you know, if we, if we decrease our level, does that allow us to use it longer? You know, so we can alleviate some of those concerns that may be coming. Um, and I, I think there's some merit to that. You know, if, if we're doing the best that we can, uh, and I think a lot of producers are, almost every producer is out there. Uh, we've learned how to manage these pigs with, with limitations on antibiotics. Um, it's going to take a concerted effort from the nutritionist, the vet, the production team. Um, everybody's going to have to be working on the same page, uh, you know, reading from the same sheet of music. And uh, it's, it is possible, you know, to still raise pigs in that type of environment. Very good. Those are great comments, Wes, and we greatly thank you for your insights today. It is time to our famous three. Swinet Podcast is only possible with the support of forward-looking and innovative companies like Swine Management to the Next Level, CloudFarms.com, Ivonic, we are sciencing the global food challenge, Healthy Farms by Bioverse, your manure management experts, MS Gold, 
the best hygiene products in livestock farming. Ivonic stands for a holistic and sustainable value proposition for livestock production. It combines products and services and leverages digital solutions. This is all backed with high-value consultancy and deep customer understanding. Ivonic turns science-based efficient nutrition, sustainable healthy nutrition, and precision livestock farming into value for customers and consumers. As we wrap up our conversation, as you know, there are a few questions we always like to ask our guest speakers. Um, the first question would come back to, do you have a swine resource that you'd recommend to the audience? Yeah, uh, NRC, I think, is the low-hanging fruit, uh, and it's a, a great resource. You know, one separate from that is the Swine Nutrition book uh, from was it Aaron Lewis, and uh, I forget the other author on there, Blue Book. That one's a pretty good one. Uh, reference that one quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Very good. Yes, those are both excellent books. Um, our second question really comes back to, uh, is there a book that you're reading or have read recently that's not related to pigs that you would like to recommend to the group? Uh, it's going to be a very niche audience, I think. But one that I've been reading today is, is called Physiology and Nutrition for Amateur Wrestling. Uh, so I'm a wrestling coach. And uh, it's been been interesting to dig into that side of, of nutrition and physiology of we're not really focused on how to grow people, you know, similar to how we grow pigs and how can we get performance benefits when athletes are weight cutting or nutrient restricted or whatever. So um, it's been kind of interesting trying to find some parallels between that and swine nutrition. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think about some conversations I've had recently with pigs that, that are used in the show pig side of the world. Yeah. And there might be some <laughs> things actually in there that could be quite useful. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so very good. That That's actually very interesting. Um, the, the last question we ask is, if you can think of somebody in your life that, that you define as successful and you define success however you want to, um, what is a trait about them that you think has allowed them to be successful? Um, you know, willing to listen to to problems and solutions. You know, the, the listening piece, I think, has been stated on here quite a few times on the, you know, that their their ability to listen and then make changes based off of that. Um, one that I think, too, is the ability to think outside the box. You know, we just talked about how, how do we take this human nutrition piece and transition it to pigs or, you know, what can I take from a different industry or a different scientific model or whatever it is and use it to benefit pig production? Uh, I've always been pretty, pretty enamored by that of people that have the ability to make that link or, you know, chain two or three different things together to find this solution. Very good. Those are wonderful, wonderful traits. So thank you, Wes, for your insight. I appreciate it. Again, for our audience, this is Dr. Wes Shear, who's with SINPRO. Uh, Wes, again, we want to thank you for your time today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Imagine if with a few key concepts, you could have the potential to create a massive positive impact for swine producers. Join this small group and go to the next level of nutrition on this online training in applied swine nutrition and feeding by Dr. Marcio Gonsalves and his world-class invited swine nutritionists. Additionally, you will enjoy an exclusive community to network and exchange ideas. Go now to EliteSwineNutritionist.com. <laughs>